What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow host, Drew Garrison. We are a couple of self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience, reaching back to the days of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol industry headlines while sipping on some amazing drinks as we do it, because that's how we do. Drew, what are we covering today, homie? Well, my friend, we have all kinds of fun stuff, and especially considering that was the cleanest intro read that you have ever done, I'm very excited about what we have going on today, because it's like you got us off to such a great start. But, uh, you know, some of our stories are going to include Jack Daniels hating dog toys, uh, owning a piece of Italian wine history, and there are new dietary guidelines so you can lie to your doctor in the near future and get away with it. But before we get all to that... I fucked this up. Chris. Yeah, I love you guys. <laughs> it was too. It was too good to be true. It was going. It was going so well. <laughs> it was going so well. I kind of botched it too because I also didn't say that we're going to be drinking spirits and stuff. But I feel like people know. No, they don't. We're oh, still not big enough. They know we're drinking. We're not big enough. And as an exciting note, which Chris just shared with me, um, we have surpassed 3000 unique listens which is just unbelievable so so thank you to everybody that has that has stuck with us through this complete like nonsense that we've been doing over the past year thanks mom Um, yeah thanks mom multiple times over apparently um but hey chris what are you drinking I am uh, drinking, and I think I've already consumed some of this on our uh, recordings in the past, but uh, I am drinking my barrel pick from Jack Daniels. Uh, just to bring that full circle, it is a <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is a single barrel select from Jack Daniels. It is Tennessee whiskey, uh, bottled at 47%, and uh, just lovely. Uh Chris Fletcher, um, the at the time the assistant master distiller and uh, newly newly anointed master distiller as of I want to say a month ago, uh, helped me pick uh, me and a couple other friends pick this barrel out, and it is freaking lovely. I really really enjoy this. I've I've consumed some single barrels from Jack Daniels that uh, other friends have selected, and not to throw them under the bus, but I. I will say I think this is probably one of my favorite personal selections from Jack Daniels. It's um, it's 47%, so it's not overly hot, but it, you know it's honest. Um, I Something that I just found out um, I learned when talking to Monique Hudson the other day, or Houston, sorry, is that uh, at 40, at underneath 46%, so if you get down to 45%, um, that's where certain adulterations and additives uh, going into booze will will stay in solution. But above forty six percent, a lot of the the common additives to to booze will not stay in solution. They they will precipitate out. And I thought that was really fascinating. And it makes sense now that I now that I know it. But it is something that I just never thought of. Um, so you know, at forty seven percent, this is this is some pretty honest whiskey and. Um, it is honestly delicious as far as I'm concerned. So can you explain to 
the listeners, like when you're talking about a barrel select, I mean, if I'm at the store and, or I'm at, or I'm at good bottle and I see Jack Daniels and then I see Jack Daniels, but I see this little good bottle single barrel tag on it. I mean, what does that entail? Well, it's sort of different for, for every company. Um, both both for the supplier as well as the retailer or the bar. You know, oftentimes um, the way that it's it predominantly works out is that there's uh, samples of barrels that, that reps or people, brand ambassadors or folks who represent the brand get to pass around <clears throat> because the brand says, okay, these are these are barrels we think are delicious and we want you to taste them and buy a barrel, hopefully. And sometimes if you're lucky enough, you, you are at the, at the location, you're at the wellspring of knowledge and you talk to whoever is working at the distillery and say, I would like to buy a barrel. And I imagine then I have yet to do it, but I imagine then you get a little bit, you get a few more options in that, in that case and, and can, and as you develop your cachet within the industry and your relationships with the brands, you, you have a little bit more sway, but typically, um, at least for this version, you know, I'm, I went to dinner with Chris Fletcher. We had a series of, of samples, um, pre-bottled up, ready to go that we were we were able to to taste through dissect uh, really figured out what we what we enjoyed and and really hone in on exactly what we wanted how many did you how many did you have to pick from uh let's see i picked from i believe eight or nine samples of tennessee whiskey barrels and i think six or seven samples of rye whiskey wow that's, I mean, that's a pretty healthy amount of samples to go through. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's Jack Daniels. It's not like they're coming, coming, coming short. You know, like they've got, they've got millions of barrels to choose from. So, um, there's, I, I don't know. I, it was, it was cool, and it was a lot of fun because with that many options, we were really able to hone in sort of what we what we wanted, you know, what, what we thought would be a delicious, um, sort of, uh, uh, um, I don't know, uh, like, uh, yeah, an offering. That's not the right word though. Like, a like, a like, like something that really showcased Jack Daniels in a way that we thought would be unique and special. Um, but still being honest to the, uh, still being honest to the brand. Um, making sure that you had that banana flavor in there, but still you. <laughs> well, you know, right? I, I, I mean, honestly, with with Jack Daniels, I only find that banana flavor really in Old Number Seven. I don't, I don't find it in any any of the other, um, other uh, offerings that they that they have. Um, I think Old Number Seven, that's that's a a classic quality that they lean into that every other whiskey in the world leans away from and it's something that just makes it so special and identifiable um but none of their none of their other whiskeys that i've that i've tasted um have quite as much of that that sort of that um banana note to it yeah yeah i think that um you know again ultimately what what i was trying to draw out of you with this question was is that you have 
a Jack Daniels offering that is completely unique to you and two of our other friends that picked it with you. Like this is, you know, these are the only, this is the only place that you can get this Jack Daniels. So if you're a big Jack Daniels fan, like it's, it's worth looking into single barrel options because those are going to be unique profiles. And, um, and that's what I love about these barrel programs and to, and to kind of like your point of, you know, as you start to develop cachet and really start to build your name within the industry, I think one of the one of the fun things that I've gotten to become really familiar with is, you know, the concept of independent bottling, which I know we've discussed on the show before. And that's where people are able to do these, you know, essentially do the same thing, but they do it with brands all over the world and they create their own lineup of of different offerings. And I remember one time talking with Joshua Hatton from Single Cast Nation, which is one of my favorite independent bottlers. And um we were talking about getting a barrel out to Sacramento and, you know, so it was like, a, it was going to be like a pick within a pick, which I thought was, was a really cool concept. And he was like, you know, we're just, we're, I don't have anything right now. We just turned, you know, we just did a, a barrel sampling and stuff like that. And he has a show one cask or one nation under whiskey, which is really, really good podcast as well. Um, so after you get done listening to this one, go listen to that one. But um, they talk about their process and everything like that. And this, this one in particular conversation we we're having, he was given 27 cast samples from a bunch of different, you know, from, I, I don't know how many unique distilleries there were, but they were from distilleries all around uh, Scotland and they didn't say yes to a single one. Could you imagine wow. Wow. having, having somebody send you 27 cast samples and kind of being like, Nope. And now this does lead me to another point. So you know how sometimes when you're either at Costco or you're at Trader Joe's, you're at Total Wine, and you see these big age statements from from different people, and you'd be like, wow, I can't believe that this 22-year whiskey is only 75 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever the case may be. The reason that that stuff is like that is because those brokers who who have that whiskey, they take it to all the different independent bottlers. So they take it to Signatory. They take it to Single Cast Nation, um, all these different ones, Alexander Murray. The list goes on and on, right? Eventually, they get to a point where they're like, well, everyone said no to this cask. Let me take it to one of the big box retailers. And then they are trying to fit a certain profile, right, price point. That's why you're able to get it because typically they're down to like, well, I got to sell this freaking cask, right? I can't keep continuing to, to show this off. And if it doesn't go somewhere, it just, it's a complete waste of me. So the price drops on it. And then at those price points, you actually get a really good deal on some solid whiskey. So I'm not by, by no means am I saying that any of those ones are bad. You can really find some amazing gems in those, but you know, as you're learning right now, it's like you try all these different ones. If it doesn't fit a profile of a certain brand, it goes on to the next one and then on to the next one and then on to the next one. It's just a really interesting concept that I was just not familiar with at all three years ago. And I find it utterly fascinating now. Yeah, I think it's, it's really neat. And honestly, it was always, it was always a major aspect of our, um, of our business plan to be able to, to develop 
um, barrel picks and special offerings, you know, even if let's say it's not coming from a barrel, but you know, it's something unique sample that nobody else, nobody else can get. Um, that was always a major part of the good bottle business plan. So it's fun to get that started. And I I think we started off the right way and with, with Jack Daniels, with, you know, such a legendary brand. Um, and I'm really excited for, for more that are coming down the, coming down the pipe. Yeah, no, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of people who out there who you can, you can get these barrels done through and, um, hopefully we'll be able to convince you to do a barrel with us one day, one day, and, uh, (laughs) one day. Well, what are you drinking, Drew? Well, I am drinking actually, oddly enough, a, uh, American whiskey as well. And I'm drinking one of our newest offerings and it's called further whiskey. And it is, uh, so for you beatniks out there, yes, it is that further. This is, um, named after the bus that Ken Kesey owned. Ken was the author of, um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and he is also responsible for like this bus, which was to carry his merry band of pranksters across the country. And it was, um, supposed to be this documentary of them, of this like counterculture and stuff. And it never came out in its original form, but it was detailed pretty, um, prominently in Tom Wolfe's 1968 book, the electric Kool-Aid acid test. So you know that you were kind of in for a good one on that. But this whiskey, the the point, it, it's an MGP. So you know we're familiar with that. That's a huge facility out of Lawrenceburg, Indiana, that produces a ton of whiskey. And um, part of the proceeds actually go to refurbishing the further bus and keeping it going, which I think is kind of cool. So if you're you know into literature and kind of historical pieces of, you know, automotives i mean this is it and um what's what's fun about the whiskey itself is you know the the mash bill is 60 percent corn 36 percent rye four percent malted barley so you know pretty standard pretty standard mash bill but where it gets a little bit different especially for an mgp offering is it's bottled at 101 proof and it's also non-chill filtered which you don't see at least I haven't seen a ton of American whiskeys be non-chill filtered, which I just think is a really fun, fun thing to do. So it's got, um, it's got a picture of the bus on the front of the bottle and then it's got like tie dye print all around it. It's very much so, um, you know, kind of like that leaning into its hippie origins. And, um, one of the other fun things I was, a guy was checking out the bottle today and it's kind of, it's, it's a seven fifty. But it's almost like a it's like a flask shape, the actual bottle. And he goes, the best part about this bottle is that you just slip this into your back pocket. And nobody knows just thinks it's your wallet. And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's a pretty big wallet. It's a really, it's a really deep pocket. Yeah, and um, so so it's just it's it's a fun little offering. And, you know, it's affordable too, which I like. I mean, they're not trying to they're not trying to blow the doors off the place, but. You know, it's just good, solid whiskey, which, again, when it comes to MGP, I mean, that's just what they do. They make quality whiskey. They make it to the specifications that their clients go in with. And I just – I think they just did a really good job. And, again, when you have a cool story, and that's really what most of this industry comes down to, right? 
just having a cool story, it, it goes a long way. So that's a, you know, in a rare turn of events, I am drinking American whiskey. And not only that, I'm drinking bourbon. They also offer a rye though. So, you know, you can get that also. Yeah. Those are, those are fun. I think they're, um, I've been buying a lot of MGP whiskeys recently, um, you know, branded, you know, uh, the, not, none of them are ever branded MGP whiskey, obviously, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a powerhouse of a, of a distillery and they just, they crank, they just pump out a ton of whiskey and they don't have their own brand, at least not yet. And so they sell off all their barrels to independent producers or people just looking to create their brand um, or for blending into other juice. And it's, it's giant and big and old for a reason. It's because it's good. Yeah, just solid good stuff. Um, but now it's time for our opinion on facts we've heard from reputable sources. So in our first story, it's important to point out that Jack Daniels hates dogs. And <laughs> no, that's not true. But what they are doing is they want the Supreme Court to stop a um, dog toy company in Arizona from using the likeness of their product. And what they're citing is that this is this is done detrimental damage to the Jack Daniel image with juvenile bathroom humor, such as the old seven was replaced by the old seven, you know, Tennessee whiskey was replaced by um, the number, the number two on the carpet and um, yep. things of that old nature. No, old number, old number. No, what was it? Old number two, old number two on Tennessee carpet. That's right. So um, <laughs> they're, so they're, they're not thrilled about the way that it's been using, which I think is interesting because, you know, this is Jack Daniels is a pretty infamous brand and it's pretty much everywhere. But, um, you know, other examples include, you know, 43% poo by volume and 100% smelly. And again, this is a humorous dog toy that the lawyers of Jack Daniels do not find funny and are not amused at all. Uh, as their attorney, Lisa Blatt put Jack Daniels has invested substantial resources into an image of sophistication. Um, Jack Daniels has a strong interest in protecting its trademarks and trade dress from associ from association with juvenile bathroom humor. So with all of that said, Chris, when you think Jack Daniels, do you think sophisticated? You know, when we first started talking about this story, I – I was on the train of, you know, no, not off the top of my head, but, you know, uh, then you have to automatically bring up, you know, uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, right? I mean, they even have a Sinatra uh, label on on one of their higher marks. Uh, um, and and then going through their website, trying to find some dirt to dig up against. And we couldn't really find anything. Uh, I think I think that there's a difference, though, between branding and having a company that's so old like this, that, that it just takes on the brand just takes on a life of its own, you know? And, and when you're looking at old rock and roll photos, uh, 
and you're thinking of old rockers who used to like get drunk on Jack Daniels and high on acid and smoke hella weed and trash their hotel rooms like that doesn't scream classy i mean i guess it screams a little bit of culture but <laughs> it's well there's there's low culture like when you when you said the um you know digging up dirt it wasn't that we were we were trying to like find um like negative things about about jack daniels we're just like we were looking at their website and they actually had like a lot of really cool stuff which by the way um i want all the jack honey items they're actually really cool branding but when you said the dirt it reminded me of motley Crue's book called the dirt Ooh, and and it's become a little bit more infamous through its netflix like movie that was made on it but i had the book back in high school and the book had a square bottle on it whiskey bottle with you know black label with white writing and it's very much so a jack daniels bottle and i don't know if you saw the movie on netflix or the um or read the book but holy debauchery batman it is (laughs) just the you know again i think for in my mind again my initial reaction was like sophisticated i think of kind of like the um you know, maybe somebody sipping on a nice glass of wine or cognac and wearing a three-piece suit and stuff like that. Now, we did look up sophistication. And there is some, like, cultural impact that a, that a brand can have. And so it actually does kind of fit, which I thought, which, you know, we both found interesting. But, um, but yeah, just not the first thing that, that comes to mind. But, again, like, you see a lot of these lawsuits. I just think what what jumps out to me about this is you know having having a lawyer a lawyer be so upset by juvenile bathroom humor and at another point putting saying things like they pirated the jack daniels trademark and it's imitating it while adding dog poop humor and it's just kind of like (laughs) it's like who is this person like what is going on? Like you seem just like an alien in this world, you know, because I mean, I can't, there's numerous, I have a Batman shirt that looks like a Jack Daniels logo. You know, it's one of the most infamous logos in the U S for sure that has been duplicated and, you know, repeated numerous times. And so I don't, I mean, I I'd be curious to, to see how many trademark lawsuits this firm has to pursue on a yearly basis, you know, cause it's gotta be just a, like unbelievable. Yeah. I think what makes this interesting, you know, you bring up the book, the dirt and you, the cover looking like Jack Daniels and that's in no way classy. And I, I wonder if they attempted to sue them because it was, you know, clearly a reference to it. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, my guess is that they didn't, uh, because, you know, why go after a beloved rock band who, uh, you know, you know, also, also, uh, uh, starred in a, in a beloved porn video that, you know, everybody of my age, uh, knows about, (laughs) um, you know, that's, that's definitely classy. I mean, it was a really big, it was a, it was a classy boat. For our younger listeners, he's talking about Tommy Lee, who was the drummer, because I I just don't know how relevant that still is. 
but yeah, you're right. It's probably not. I've definitely aged myself. Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, I, I find it humorous and sad that this has made its way to the U S Supreme court. Uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about a court that that's handled, uh, uh, life altering decisions for, for most human beings, and, uh, as well as, you know, Indian, Indian land rights and water rights and, uh, you know, what women can and can't do with their bodies and, uh, <laughs> how, how much of a human being, a person of color is qualified as, uh, and now they're taking a, taking time out of their day to, to deal with Jack Daniels being insulted from a, from a dog company. Like I, okay. Like even if you want to go to a, to a state Supreme court and then just call it quits there, like that's, that's fine. But going all the way up to the, to the biggest court in the land seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely aggressive. And just so everybody knows, I'm going to do my damnedest to find an image of the said dog toy in question. Um, so I will, I, I will try to include that for our, for our listeners at home. But I mean, um, I also feel like, I feel like that the dog toy company could, you know, be, be pressured into changing some of the language that wasn't quite as offensive to Jack Daniels. Right. Like, like a hundred percent stink, you know, you, you could take that off. That's fine. You could leave the number two, maybe take off Tennessee. That's also fine. You know, you could you could find some common ground there where you're like, okay, it still looks like Jack Daniels, but it's not so flagrant. Yeah, well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out, you know, just just like some terms that I know I've heard before, but don't maybe fully understand it. So so bear with me here. But I feel like one of the some fall underneath like parody law, you know, where it's just kind of like we're we're clearly like joking and having fun in here. It's like, it's a dog toy. You can't take this serious, you know, like we can't be held responsible for this. Like, I don't know. That just seems like something that if it's a hundred percent poo, it's like, come on, you know, like, what are we doing here guys? Sure. And I guess by the same token, Jack Daniels, if being as insulted as apparently they are, could claim defamation. <laughs> defecation <laughs> sorry well, now we're getting sued great I job <laughs> i couldn't resist <laughs> this is clearly a group of people you don't mess with even though you bought a barrel from them <laughs> so <laughs> oh my god okay so i did i did find a picture of it so we will definitely be sharing that on on the instagram and I mean, I mean, obviously there's, there's definitely some similarities like most things that I've seen, but when you see it, you're going to die. You're going to be like, Oh yeah, this is, this is downright silly. I can't wait. All right, so you have an opportunity to own a piece of Italian wine history. There's a property that just went up for sale in this in the San Casciano um, area that boasts landscaped gardens, uh, an 
an entrance lined with cypress trees in a small vineyard. Um, this is in the Chianti producing re- uh, region of Italy. It dates back to the 13th century. It's about 30 minutes outside of Florence. And currently the estate is for sale. Um, it's as the realtor described it as, yeah, you know, a perfect home for any wine enthusiast or someone looking for a second home. It's like, good for you. Good for you. Um, that second home will cost you $15 million or 12.7 euro uh, million euros. And um, it's just, but it got me thinking, because this is, I mean, obviously I think anybody would take the opportunity to live on a property like this, right? However, given the choice, if you could live anywhere in the world that has, you know, and which which basically opens up to the to the entire world, but for a spirit production, wine production, what have you, beer production, if if you will, where would you live, Chris? Like, what's the what's the region or place that you would move to? That's a really great great question. I um, admittedly have not traveled to all of the places I would like to. Um, so therefore my, my choice could potentially be just, a a fantasy, which I think, I think we're going on the fantasy tip anyway, if we're suggesting that you and I, uh, have $15 million to buy a, uh, chateau, if you will, uh, somewhere, uh, in another country. And can just well, escape. Well, Chris, before you go on, I want you to check your left pocket. Oh my God. What's just that? Kidding. There's it's just nothing. It's, it's, yes, it's it totally fantasy. There are no rules. <laughs> so please go ahead and pick your fantasy destination, and then we will figure out the logistics after. Oh, great. I think I think my top my top area would probably be somewhere in Basque country. Right. Um, probably on the, on the Spanish side for me. Um, I am in love with the cider and I'm in love with Chocolina um, and all the wine that comes from there. It's close enough to Sherry. It's close enough to France to be able to go get chartreuse whenever the fuck I want. Um, um, my, I think my number two might be, might be the Alsace region in in France, bordering bordering Germany. Just because I'm a I'm a fan of mountains, and um, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty rugged area up there. And I've never been to that one. I have been to the Basque region, uh, and I do love it. My wife loves it. She is convinced that that's where we're going to retire. Uh, she told me uh, within five minutes of us being there. So, you know, that's that's happening. Yeah, for uh, sure. Um, uh, what about you, Drew? Uh, do you have any any uh, wanderlust and uh, hopes to uh, re relocate and and produce? Um, t- to produce, probably not. Um, and and even in thinking of, about this question, you know, over the past few hours, where it's like, where would I go and, and things like that? I feel like my my mind has changed numerous times um 
you know, like, would it be living in a place like Michoacan, which I absolutely love and I love the food there. I love the people, you know, I, I really enjoy Charanda and of course Mezcal and you can get tequila there too. It's like, it's, it's all those things. And then, yeah, you drive an hour and you're in Guadalajara or you drive, I'm sorry, not an hour. It's like, it's quite a few hours, but um, (laughs) yeah, I don't, I was, I was in the back. Who knows? Uh, You know, so that, so that I immediately comes to mind now i but i've also long aspired to you know retire and live on the beach so then in that situation okay so does that mean that i end up in a place like martinique or in jamaica you know drink rum all fucking day and night and um you know i really really enjoy jamaican food as well so it's i i don't know if i could commit to to one or the other and then and and even hearing your response, it's kind of like, it's like, man, but who wouldn't want to live in, you know, fucking wine country, you know, and to be able to be part of that history and, and stuff like that. I think there's, I think there's so many amazing places and, and hopefully if we keep working hard and we get enough supporters of this podcast, we'll have $15 million and maybe we can go have these on a place. No time. We got a, we got a, we got a year to get it done. <laughs> uh yeah so that you know that would be interesting though if 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 any of our listeners out there would like to send us a place where they would go if they could live in any production like we'll we'll read it on next week's show so so if you have some thoughts on on where you would like to end up or if you could i mean and again this is fantasy world don't get caught up with price or practicality or the fact that you have kids we like, certainly don't. We no, we ignore that all the time. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, send that, send that to us, and and uh, we'll read your replies on um, on next week's show. Yo. Okay, and in our final story, and again, I you know what I love about this episode? It's been extremely lighthearted, and um, we usually don't get to do that because you know, 2020, but, um, it's fine. I took my pills today. It's good. (laughs) But, uh, this one caught my eye, not necessarily because of the content itself, but because of the absolute hatred that this writer has for the dietary guidelines advisory committee, also known as DGAC. And I, that's appropriate name. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. Um, and I and I do and I did this for you earlier, Christmas. So so bear with me. I want to do this for our listeners. But this is from RealClearHealth.com, and this article was by Julie Gunlock. And this is how she starts her her article: Legitimate concerns about coronavirus have quieted the normally very active world of alarmists who regularly launch their arsenal of warning shots about the things Americans enjoy: coffee, sugar, cocktails, certain foods, and snacks. Yet, a pandemic isn't going to stop the committed killjoys who serve on the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. I love that line (laughs) so much. And I feel like I don't call enough people who are killjoys killjoys. So that will be coming back into my, um, you know, my normal uh, daily use of words. And this is a group that is responsible for the food pyramid, which has just been beat up with actual science and um, their most recent issue and their recommendations 
came out where they changed the definition of moderate drinking for men, reducing it from two drinks per day to one, and the recommendation for women staying the same at also one drink per day. Now, these recommendations are clearly ridiculous because men, women are all different sizes. So many different factors are going to play into what your alcohol tolerance is, what you should be drinking, what you shouldn't be drinking. And this has already been criticized. Like there was a letter that was written to those two, to the DJAC written by five Harvard you know, medical professors saying that the guidelines that the, that they use for the recommendation are limited, arbitrary, and unsystematic, and they're insufficient to warrant any meaningful changes, you know, to what, to what they put out. And the way that, uh, that Julie ends this article, which I thought was really great too, is that, um, she means that, you know, it's important that, that they base their recommendations on solid scientific evidence, not trendy social causes, or a desire to, to be convenient, but inaccurate, one-size-fits-all policy recommendations that do nothing to improve health. And I just really love that that line because it definitely seems like something like, you know what we're going to do? Men and women are equal, and it definitely has to do with, you know, the you know for drinking as well. And it's like, you know what? Here's the thing. If, if a guy that I know weighs 300 pounds – and then I weigh closer to, you know, I'm, and I'm 200 pounds, like he's going to have a different tolerance than me. You know, there's a lot more space for that to go. So it's just a completely ridiculous thing, but it got me thinking, Chris, when the doctor asks you how many drinks you consume in a week, what lie do you tell him? Well, a, it's a woman doctor drew. So okay. first of all, come on, dog. It's 2020. Uh, so <laughs> Uh, second of all, I lie my ass off, um, and I'm glad that she doesn't listen to this podcast and I will definitely not usher her to do so because it will ultimately go bad, like fly into my face in very unentertaining ways for my lifestyle. Um, but I definitely say two a day averaging out. And I definitely say that, you know, there are days where I have more and then I'll go like two or three days where I don't have anything. And so it sort of averages out. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fine. And then, um, and then, uh, she asked me if I smoke, which I, I don't, but I was like, you know, occasionally like I'll have cigars. She's like, Oh, fine. You can cut that out. That's easy. And I was like, well, Hey, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is the land of vices, lady doctor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, what about you, Drew? Do you uh, do you tell the truth, or are you a lying piece of shit like me? I I, I have like this really. Like I dread the question. It's and every time I go to the doctor, which admittedly is not often, but I do occasionally, and. And I don't know why it matters so much to me that I don't feel like I can be honest with them about what I do. Cause it's always like one of those things that I tend to be honest with how much I drink, mm -hmm. but then I immediately follow it up with like, but it's my job. And I start justifying to this person who all, who, you know, I won't see again for <laughs> a long ass time. Like, and, and I don't know what it is. Like it's my doctor's name. And I'm not, I'm not joking when I tell you this, it's my doctor's name is Dr. Doolittle. So amazing. Yes. And 
I can't give the guy shit about it because I'm sure he's heard it. His I always knew you were an animal, you know? Yeah. And it was just, and so I, but I, but I dread having that conversation. Cause I'm going to be like, well, how many, you know, how many times do you drink a week? I don't know. Seven, <laughs> like eight, nine. How many do we count for a day? Am I above moderate? And then now to see like this new, you know, and obviously these people have no idea what they're talking about, but now it's like, Oh, you're, you know, if I'm a moderate drinker, if I have a drink a day, that's moderate. It's like, Oh God, I'm so in for it. Yeah. I, I, so I've got two, two primary thoughts on this subject. And, uh, one, one is, uh, a, I've lied to pretty much every doctor I've ever had about on the subject, but I also have lots of doctor friends, uh, who oftentimes have become friends because I've been their bartender many times. So, uh, and yeah. they've get, they've given me really solid advice over the years as well. Who I'm, you know, and I, I tend to be uh, painfully honest with them. And some of the best advice I think I, I've ever received was uh, from a doctor friend who was like, "Look, it's your job. You're going to drink. It's fine. Just do your do your body and your liver a favor and try to take like 36 hours off a week." Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's like, that's that's enough time for your liver to start regenerating and keep you alive, at least for a little bit longer. And uh and I think that was actually really reasonable advice because, you know, I go to sleep one day, I wake up, I go to sleep again, and I wake up, and that's almost 36 hours. <laughs> <laughs> They've thought about this a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, I go through the rest of my day and then, you know, if I have another drink at some point in time, then there you go. I've done it. And, you know, it's not that hard. So you just take pretty much just take a day off drinking. Um, I don't know what to do with the knowledge that your doctor is named Dr. Doolittle. I feel like there's definitely jokes about about being <laughs> a bear, uh, about uh, a dog. I don't know. There's There's jokes that I'm missing and I'm really angry at myself right now for not being able to to really just uh, pounce, if you will, on on this given opportunity that I feel so ill prepared for, and I'm I'm just I feel ashamed, honestly. Well, first off, we're gonna put it in the book things you didn't know, <laughs> um, and then listen, we're we're gonna have a lot more conversations. We're probably gonna talk another, you know, seven to twenty three times this week before we even get back on the podcast. That's so fair. you're going to, you're going to get your shot, my friend. And, um, you know, and again, let's do it. We can, we can do another a question to the audience. If you want to, uh, tell us how often you lie to your, to your doctor and you can tell us what the number actually is compared to what you say it is. Um, and maybe that could be something that we can also extend to personal trainers our therapist, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Pretty much yeah. any anybody that you would be ashamed at at telling them the truth. We yeah, want to like know. Any, you tell us any, the truth. Any, anybody that you're that you should have some some form of accountability to. You know, you're like you get home, you're significant other. How much did you drink tonight? Oh God, one after another. You know. <laughs> um, you know, my, my, my other thought on, on, on this subject, um, years ago, uh, well over a decade ago, I got a DUI and, uh, I, that was shameful and I've learned my lesson, but 
through that experience, I I had to do court ordered um, uh, DUI classes, and I had to go to a I had to sit on a Mothers Against Drunk Driving <sighs> event. I don't want to call it a speech. I don't want to call it an education. We'll just we'll call it an event. And similar to to this group that seems to have taken it upon themselves to define how the rest of us live and what is healthy, not based on science. A lot of the education, at least at the, in my experience of where I've been, but then also talking to a lot of other bartenders who've gone through this because surprise, surprise, it happens a lot to bartenders. Um, all have very, very notable experiences where where your um counselor that you're um obligated to visit and see and sit on classes and go to therapy with or whatever group therapy uh pedal disinformation and misinformation on a regular basis and it's so disheartening because there's a real opportunity there to actually give some good information that can ha- that can legitimately help people's lives out. But they offer information like saying that there's eight servings of wine in a bottle. If you were to go to a restaurant and pay what you pay and they were to give you an eighth of a bottle of wine, you would be livid. There's no, no way, you know, and including, you know, shaming people into saying, you know, like Mike and Julie sit down for dinner and they share a bottle of wine amongst each other. Given what we know about how much is in a bottle of wine, this would make them all alcoholics. You're like, come on, man. Like, what? Fucking get real. Uh, and then even as far as like giving tips into like how to how to stay hydrated and um, and actually get through a night of going to a bar without getting too inebriated. You know, th- their suggestion was always to drink soda water. And you're like, you you realize that the carbonation just keeps alcohol in your blood longer. And they're like, Oh really? Is, is that true? <laughs> You're like, dog, this is your job, not mine. Like why, why are you so bad at this? But it's, it's people who get off on shaming other people about what they do without having facts and science to back it up. And I, I don't know how they defend it to themselves, but it, it's got to be like, well, if I keep one person off, off then I've done a good job. And it's like, well, that's, that's not a good job. It's a terrible job. And you could get a lot more by actually telling people the truth. Yeah. I feel like people don't believe that that stuff works. You know, they're, they're so hell bent on, on their cause. They're just kind of like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm doing the right thing by the nature of law. So like I'm, I'm taking care of people. I'm making sure that they don't hurt themselves. And if that means I have to tell this little white lie, it's for the greater good, you know? And, um, and if it sounds good for their argument, why, why fight it? You know? Right. So, uh, I, have a, I have a term for that, uh, that I've become, uh, I I've used a lot more in the last few years. And I call, I call that toxic charity. It's, uh, mm. it's, it's the idea of doing good, uh, that actually does more harm than good. Oh, I like it. Hmm. You're welcome. You can use that. We'll use that. That's mine forever now. <laughs> you know who's dope? Them over there. Yeah, they are.
So now time for one of our favorite segments, and that is our dope follows of the week. Chris, let's start off with you. Who is your dope follow of the week? Oh, man, I'm so excited about this one. I came across this one uh, this week, and I don't even remember how. Uh, but as soon as I did, I got super excited. I knew that this was going to be my follow this week. It is uh, on Instagram, and it's at Pasta Grannies. It It is an entire Instagram uh, and I think a YouTube channel as well um, where the uh, the producer of the content roams around Italy and finds old grannies who are amazing at making pasta and he films them making pasta. This sounds like some like weird fetish shit. No, it's amazing, dude. <laughs> it's so great. Like it's like it, it obviously this strikes home being Italian growing up in an Italian uh, household. My grandmother never made pasta, uh, but she baked like crazy. And so this was this just took me back into her kitchen, watching her work, watching her do her thing, having having her own methods that that she would she would use and um uh, and I would just sit there and watch her cook and we would just talk all day long you know for hours while she was cooking in the kitchen it was awesome and so i i love watching this um you know scroll scrolling through here it's great and they make all sorts of different types of pasta and um all their different techniques are so cool it's it's rad it just it got me super excited i'm looking at it now yep like i'm just seeing all your likes across all these videos <laughs> I did. I did. I blasted them all with likes. I was like, yes, it's amazing. Oh my God. This is great. Okay. All right. I'm going to follow the pasta grannies. Yes. They're adorable. They are adorable. Okay. You win this round, sir. You win this round. Um, okay. So in, I guess, I guess less funny. Um, Mine is actually a bartender down in San, um, San Francisco, and his name is Sam Miller. You can find him on Instagram, and it's Samson underscore Miller. And I met Sam the first time that I walked into the Zombie Village, which is a really, really great tiki bar in San Francisco. And um, he just was... Um, I guess just the, I mean, everything that you wanted out of a bartender, right? Just super, super nice. Hospitality was, was, was top notch, made great drinks, really, really enjoyed my time, my time there. And, um, so I've, I've, I've stayed in contact with him. And of course, you know, when you're in the rum community, like you're, you're kind of always running into each other at events and stuff like that. And, um, you know, Sam is, is a very, very vocal about his community and, and everything like that. And one of the, this is actually kind of a twofer, but one of the changes or one of the things that he started over the past couple of months is actually another Instagram account. So it's really two follows of the week for me. And it's a uh, bartenders for change. And it's about, you know, him and a, and a collection of other bartenders and, their goal is to create stronger allies like for the black community 
and and also just looking at you know different groups and people of color and how they're treated in our industry and how they're viewed in our industry and how we can change those perceptions so it, it's a progressive and um you know just so much more nuanced view and, and stuff like that so for example this past weekend they did a uh, an event over at, at Contigi in Oakland where they talked about conscious tropical, which is something that we've talked about a lot on this show, right? Yeah. Where yep. the difference between, um, you know, celebrating this like tiki culture and then as opposed to taking advantage of it and that really fine line that that tiki kind of navigates, right? And so they did a live conversation with just a bunch of different you know, people from around the industry. And then they also did like a voter drive with it too, which I thought was like a really cool tie in, but then on their Instagram, like, you know, they're, they're giving tips. I mean, I know like one of the things that we've talked about in the past is like, well, how can I be a better ally in, in this, um, you know, in this fight and how do I not fall victim to that toxic charity that you just brought up? Right. Like, I don't want to do more harm. I want to actually be helpful. And so, you know, this is a way that if you're looking to expand your circle and be exposed to things that you're usually not seeing in your timeline, this is a really great way to do that. And um, it's been really fun to watch Sam grow into this role to where he's been speaking at at different rallies and stuff like that. And he actually had a picture with him and the three other people that he started this with. And, um, and his Afro right now looks amazing. Like it's fucking beautiful. So for that alone, if you appreciate good hair, you got to check out Sam's, <laughs> like Afro it's, right now. It's, it's just, glorious. It's glorious. Yeah. It's so good. And, um, and I just really, you know, he's, he's obviously always been a very conscientious person and, and things like that. And, you know, we've, we've taken just like the horror, he's taken the horrible events that have occurred over the past uh, few months and really you know, obviously for years, I mean, but um, he's taken that and he's really trying to make this positive change. So again, that's, um, that's Samson underscore Miller. And then from there, look up bartenders for change. Those are both, those are both on Instagram and um, those are our dope follows of the week. Yo, before we go kill these bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and smash that uh, subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast, and you can also support the podcast and my desire to own these kitten-themed cocktail picks on Etsy by checking out anchor.fm slash goodbottlepodcast. Actually, it's forward slash, so it's anchor.fm forward slash goodbottlepodcast. If you would like for us to cover a story or if you are working with a brand or for a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at the Good Bottle Shop. So Hell until yeah, next you time. Can. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers, homie. <laughs> Thank you.